right, with that, let's begin. Again, glad you're here, whether you are a, a guest, a first-time guest, a long-time member, or you're joining us on the podcast today. You couldn't have picked a better Sunday to be here, so congratulations to you. We're starting a brand new series, and I'm so excited about it, and here's why. Because around here, my two favorite Sundays of the year are first Easter, for obvious reasons, and actually today... First Sunday in November for not so obvious reasons, because today is the day we do something really special together as a church, and today is really the day we begin to kick off a whole season of generosity within our church towards the community, Uh, and we call this day today Live Big Sunday. And because I know you've loved it so much and I've loved it so much, we've actually turned the name of the Sunday into the series for the whole month this month in November. And the idea of today, and really the whole series, is to look at how small things, as you can see, really can lead to big changes in our lives, in our community, in our church, and world. And so each week, as you come, we'll be asking you to do something small that if we all did it, we can make a collective significant difference in the lives of people all around us. So during the month, I'll be moving through a number of the epistles in the New Testament. And this month, or excuse me, today, I'll be looking at the book of James chapter 1. So let's kick off the series with these few verses and this simple message here from the book of James chapter 1, verses 22 through 27. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bible. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It's God's word this morning. Now, imagine if uh, an archaeologist was doing some work in the Middle East and he or she dug up a letter from the first century and they found this really old document and they posted it on the internet and they believed it to be written by someone who was the actual brother of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, wouldn't that be interesting? Wouldn't that be worth sort of taking a look at even if you weren't a Christian? Yeah, well, thankfully, you don't have to imagine it. It's actually happened in a way. And and this letter is actually what we call today the book of James. And the fact that we have this book today from him that Christians have preserved over the centuries is actually one of the strongest and most compelling reasons I believe, we believe, that Jesus was who he said he was, that he really was the Son of God. And and here's why. What would it take to convince you that your sibling, your brother or sister, was the Son of God? Hmm? What would it take to convince you that your brother was the Son of God? And the answer is pretty much nothing. Oh, nothing. It couldn't, you couldn't have anything. You know, you, you grew up with him. There's nothing that they could do to convince you they were God come in the flesh, except maybe one thing, except maybe rise from the dead. 
rise from the dead. And that's exactly what happened. James, you see, James did not believe in his own brother, history records, until after the resurrection. And then he begins to emerge in history, not just as a follower of Jesus, but actually as the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And so you would think if anyone had an idea about the power of Christianity, about the power of who Jesus was and what he was all about, it would be James. And if he thought that, you would be right. And so in James's letter, he's going to show us over and over how important the little things are in your life, how small changes in here can lead to big changes later on down the road. So let's look briefly at what James says out of all things today about giving and generosity, about financial generosity in chapter one. So that's right. You heard right. We'll be talking about giving and generosity today. And for those of you who are new or who are guests or your friends drug you here, you're saying, I knew it. I knew it, right? I mean, this always happens to me. It never fails. It's like the rerun you turn on on TV, right? It's always the same one. You've seen one episode and there it is again. Listen, if you're skeptical about this, if you're thinking, man, they're always talking about money. Where's the love? You know, Jesus talked about love. Well, he did talk about love. But do you know what he, statistically speaking, spoke more about than any other subject? It was money and finances, which means two things. Number one, if you were to roll up on Jesus in the first century, do you know what the odds were, odds would be on that he would talk to you about? It would be about your money, yeah, your financial life. And secondly, it means it's no surprise that his own brother, James, would do the same thing at some point. So hang on. I promise this is going to get good. This is going to get fun by the end, but there is a little bit of turbulence here at the beginning. So if your seat begins to wobble, your heart begins to pound, it's okay. Grab the sides, grab that real cute person next to you. You were hoping to meet anyway after the service. And here we go. So three things about giving, about generosity and finances from James chapter one. Number one, what we can't forget. We'll look at who we can't forget. And finally, how we can remember. Here we go. Number one, let's look at what we can't forget. And we'll drop sort of in the middle here in verse 23. And James says, anyone who listens to the word and and doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at himself, looks at their face in the mirror, and then goes away and forgets what he looks like. So James, of course, gives you this great analogy here. It says, if you only listen to God's word and then you, what? Then you don't do it. You're like someone who looks in the mirror and then forgets what he looks like. You say, well, that would be weird, right? I mean, that would be strange. And if you're saying that, you're right. That would be weird and strange, except it's not just weird and strange. It's actually worse than weird and strange because you do, you, do you remember what he wrote right before that? In verse 22, he says, don't merely listen to the word and so what? Deceive yourselves. He says, do what it says. So he's saying, you're more than strange if you only hear the word and don't obey it. You're not just weird if you hear the word and don't obey it. You're actually deceived. He says, fooled and tricked. He's saying, you think there's real Christianity in your life? But there's not. In other words, he's saying to hear God's word and not obey it just because you're listening to it means you got a problem. The problem is you're deceived. Now, you may be saying, Morgan, I thought this was supposed to be about money, right? There's no mention of money here in this verse. This isn't about specifically obeying God with your money. Well, yes and no. 
And because while money and your finances aren't mentioned specifically in this verse, James does get to it in specific in just a few verses, as you'll see. So yes, in the end, James does connect obedience to God with obedience in your financial life. But not only that, and this is fascinating, what James is doing here is actually echoing one of the most consistent ways the Bible says a person can be deceived. And it's in the area of your money. Consider Jesus in Luke chapter 12. He says, be on your guard, right? Don't get tricked. Don't be fooled when it comes to what? Greed. Yeah, he's saying greed's tricky, right? Greed's slippery. It can get a hold of you. It can deceive you. Or consider Paul in Galatians 6.10, same word. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. What a man sows, he'll also reap. Or consider back in Genesis 4, the first act of financial giving ever recorded. A man by the name of Cain deceived himself when it came to his offering. Cain tricked himself into thinking he was giving generously when he really wasn't. Do these sound the same as James 1? Yeah, they do. Why? Because they are. (laughs) Because nowhere does the Bible take the approach that what you do with your money is anything less than completely spiritual. Every dollar that you spend, the Bible insists, has a direct connection to a spiritual priority in your life. So if you come to this passage, James 1, and you think for a second that your financial world is not included here, it means you're not reading closely enough. Or put it like this. Do you think James would say, you know what, 21st century reader, when I wrote that bit about obeying the word, when I wrote that bit about hearing the word and obeying it, I meant everything in every area except your money, right? Obey God in every area. But when it comes to your money, you know, because there have been abuses in churches in your day, there have been false teachers, because there are crazy people on TV, You can remain suspicious and never give. You're off the hook. You've got a good excuse now, so just listen and don't obey when it comes to this. Of course he's not saying that, right? He's saying, no, don't, catch this, deceive who? Yourself. You don't even have to worry about Satan. You don't even have to worry about the devil when it comes to your money. You've got enough trouble with your own heart. When it comes to your own money, he's saying, don't let yourself be tricked into believing you're obeying God's command to be financially generous when you're not. So with that in mind, let's ask, do people really trick themselves, Morgan, right? Do they really trick themselves into believing they're generous people when they're actually not? And the answer is yes, they do. And the reason I know this and the reason you can know this comes not just from the Bible, but from the federal government of all people. Because statistically speaking, and I tend to drag these out every year, the richer you are, the less you give. The more an American makes, statistically speaking, in other words, the less an American gives. Let's look at these. The average American today makes around $50,000, just as a way of illustration. And those who are in that income range give about 6% of their income. But in general, as an American's income goes up, their giving goes down. When the average American reaches an income level of $200,000, their giving drops to 4%. And as they approach $500,000, it drops to 2%. And at an income level over $1 million, the average millionaire gives less than 1% of their income. 
So the tendency is for all people over time as their income grows to give away less and still think I'm a generous person, right? A millionaire may be giving away more dollars than a person who makes $50,000 a year, but it's far less of a percentage. Now, what would you call a person who the more they make, the less they give, and yet they still hang on to the belief they are a generous person. And thank you. Yeah, you've been tracking along with James. You would call that person deceived, right? Fooled, not tricked, or unclear about the concept. And James says, don't. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let your heart be tricked into believing God cares about dollars when he really cares about percentage. That's what impresses Jesus, percentage. You may think, man, this is kind of tough. I mean, what right does James have to talk this way? Don't be deceived. It's kind of rough. I mean, Morgan, is James just, you know, kind of angry at the, at the 1% in his church, right? Is he, is he just getting up on his pastoral high horse because the offerings are down? He's beating the sheep and they give into the building fund. No. There's no mention here of budgets or buildings. So you ask, well, how can he call people out specifically about this, about deception in their life and finances? See, James can speak to this church this way and to you today because, hear this, from the beginning of Christianity, not just giving alone, but a different way of giving, a different standard of giving, a different kind of giving, a countercultural approach to money was central to the message of Jesus, his brother. What was that message? Oh, think about it. Think, you all know John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that he what? That he gave his own son. He gave, not expecting anything in return, right? Giving to people who perhaps hated him. He gave everything when you in your seat today could give him nothing, not a zero. And that is the heart of Christian giving. We give to God and others just because, just because God has given freely to us and we don't expect anything in return. That's the heart of Christian giving. And by the way, if anything, hear me, ought to shape us and shape our church, it ought to be that thought right there. If anything ought to move us, it ought to be that thought right there about God's generosity toward us. Hear me, hear me. I would rather have us known right here in Austin, Texas, more for how much we give than how much we know. I would rather have us known for our generosity more than just our theology alone, as important as our theology is. I would rather have us known, in other words, for how much we live the gospel rather than how much we just know about the gospel. See, I, I, I want to hear because of this, I want to hear, and I hope you do too, employers all over the city saying, you know, I may not want to be one. I want to hire one though. I may not want to, you know, go to that church. Oh, but I want to work for someone who goes to that church, right? I mean, I may not want to be a Christian, but I hope my daughter marries one of them, you know? And by the way, if you are here, and you have not, that has not been your experience. If the Christians in your environment have not been the most faithful, kind-hearted, generous people you've ever met, I'm sorry. Shame on us. Shame on, please forgive us. This is just us trying to work out this James 1 kind of thing and get the message of the gospel right. See, there's a trap, isn't there? 
for Christians. And by the way, if you're not a Christian, this doesn't apply to you. You're just sort of listening in at this point. Good for you. But if you're a Christian, getting this obeying God in your financial world part, getting that part right, it's non-negotiable. Non-negotiable for you. Because if you don't, you're forgetting what you're supposed to look like. Do you want to remember what you look like? Oh, then you're going to have to be financially generous. Why? Because when you and I, when we give generously, it reminds us, reminds our hearts of who Jesus is, what we're supposed to look like. And there is no more act that's more central to the Christian faith than sacrificial financial giving. That's number one, what we can't forget. All right. Most of the turbulence has passed. There may be some more here as we go. So hang on. Number two, that's, that's number one, who we, what, excuse me, what we can't forget. But number two is now who we can't forget. There's a who here, not just a what. And James goes to work his way down to this one incredibly powerful verse. And it's this. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Now pause. Pause here, because there's an implication here. Did you catch it? He's saying there's an implication here that there's a form of religion, which is the Greek word thraskaya, which means literally worship. He's saying there's a form of worship, a form of church, a way you do faith in your church life that God, our Father, does not accept. That he actually rejects. You say, man, that's a little judgmental here, a little harsh. But remember, this is who again? This is James, the brother of Jesus. I think he can write whatever he wants to write. Okay. James is saying here, again, there's a form of worship, though, that is faultless. This is another Greek word that means basically the real deal. He's saying there's a kind of worship, a a kind of a church life that's undiluted, unadulterated. He's saying there's a kind of Christianity that's from concentrate concentrate. He's saying if you could get down to what Christians, excuse me, concentrated Christian worship really looks like and is all about, it's this. Now, before we give you the big reveal, I want to ask you to do just sort of a thought experiment of your own. Based on how you grew up in church today, for those of you who grew up in church, or what you think Christianity is, or what you thought Christianity was, how would you feel in the blank here? If you had to finish this statement, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, what would you write? What do you think it is? What would you say? Would it be to attend church every week and bring your Bible? Would that be it, maybe? Now, maybe that wasn't uh, explicitly what you were taught when you were a kid, but maybe that's what you imperceptibly caught. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, the way you knew you were doing church right, this was kind of me when I was a kid, was you came every week, and you got a sticker on your chart if you came every week. And if you brought your Bible, you got two stars. And if you had the memory verse uh, memorized, which you did five minutes in the car in the parking lot before you got inside, you got three stars, right? He thought you're doing good. Attendance check, Bible check, memory verse check. And listen, all those things are good and important. And we believe in all those things. You should be here every week. Some of you need to be here every week, if at all possible. You should bring your Bible and your smartphone. It kind of counts, but I think the jury's still out on that one. And you should memorize God's word. But if you were to try to fill in the blank here, 
And James's thought, based on your experience in the past, how would you fill it in? Church, mass, pray the rosary, listen, do that, and ten times that, right? How would you fill in the blank here? Now, everybody back up here, all right? If you were checked out and you were waiting for this part to get past, or you're counting the light bulbs behind me or something, just trying to ignore me, this is the part where you come back. All right, you ready? Listen, if worship, church worship, is just attendance and routine, something you do over and over again, if it's just showing up and being in a room somewhere, if that's all this is for you, over time, you'll become bored and cynical and burn out. If it's all about attendance, listen, I don't care how great the preaching is or the worship is or the children's ministry. If all this is for you over time is just attendance and routine, you'll quit. You'll quit coming. Just this week, I was having a conversation with one of our staff people. They were telling me this story. And they said, you know, so-and-so's not coming here anymore. And I asked why. And I, I tried not to act like my feelings, you know, were hurt, which they totally weren't, of course, you know. And so I asked, and, I, and, and they said that this person had told them that, you know what, there used to be someone who paid attention to them and their child in the past, but now their child wasn't getting as, as much attention as someone else's children were, and now they feel like they deserve better. Yeah. Now listen, I am all for caring for people's children, for your children here, right? And we should do that and do it well, but hear me. Even if we don't, so What? Who told them this was all about them? Hmm? I mean, who told them that pure and undefiled religion was about coming and sitting in a room where all their needs got met and they got what they wanted with the sermon that they wanted and the music that they wanted and the sound that they wanted uh, and the children's ministry that they wanted or the program that they wanted or the small group that they wanted? Who told them that? Not James. James didn't tell them that. Not James. And if I have told you somehow, just by mistake or by accident, if I've communicated that to you or someone else has, that church is just coming in a room and singing songs and hearing sermons and soaking in the presence as great as all those things are and things we should do. If someone's just told you that, I am sorry. I'm sorry. That's not what this is. And if that's what you think, this is just going to feel over time like your Christian life and experience are watered down. They're becoming diluted, not undiluted, as James says, that kind of Christianity is. He says, listen, concentrated Christianity is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. To which many of us, some of us may reply, man, that sounds great, but what does that have to do with me, right? How does it help me live a better life or improve my ability to, to do my job? Or how does that help my kids? To which James would say, if your religion stops with you and you've become bored or cynical or burned out, it's because you think church is all about you and getting your needs met. Whatever that need is, you fill in the blank which now means this. It means at some point, at some point, as followers of Jesus, we have to turn the corner and realize, accept, and even celebrate 
this whole thing is not about us. It's not about us. That religion that God our Father accepts is not about us getting what we want from our church experience. And the reason I know that many of you, us, think this way, and many of you come into a church looking for that, is because I've done your connection card calls. I've done them. How many of you have I've done your connection card? Man, you're afraid to raise your hand at this point. All right. Now, I, I ask people all the time on the phone. I've, I've asked you if I've talked to you. How did you find your way here? Well, you know, what brought you here? And time after time, people say, well, I'm looking for a good church for my kids. I'm looking for a church that can help me with my marriage. Or I'm looking for a church like the church I grew up in, which if they're saying that means they're like under 19, you know, at that point. But one of the things I hear the most, it's actually most common, is this thought. I'm looking for a church that helps me. Now, many of those things, they aren't inherently bad. Of course not. And I hear the heart behind them. We, we want to help marriages. We want to help kids. But do you know what I rarely hear? I rarely hear someone say, I'm looking for a church that obeys James 1. Obeys James 1. I'm looking for a church that does its best to care for the needs of others outside the church. Amazing. And, if some, and some of you have said that to me. And if you say that, I always say to you, well, you have found your people. You found your place, right? And if you've said something else, or or you do, you really think something else here. Listen, if you're a Christian, it's okay to start there. It really is okay. But in another way, it's just not okay to stay there over time, right? See, James says what the church is all about. Remembering widows and orphans in distress is concentrated Christianity. Not about remembering your needs, but the needs of others. And here's how we apply that today, by the way. Most of the distress in the lives of orphans and widows today comes from just the absence of fathers and husbands in the home. In the first century, most fathers or husbands who weren't there died from premature death, war, disease, captivity. Not quite so common those things are today. But distress in the lives of women and children due to the absence of fathers and husbands in the home. James says you can't ignore that. It's not optional for the follower of Jesus. We can't forget that, all right? So that's who we can't forget. And that's the first thing that he says that Christianity that's concentrated looks like. But the second thing is, and I'll look at this briefly, he actually says a second thing. He adds an and onto the end of that verse. He says, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Or let me put it this way for you, sum it up. True Christianity is neither liberal nor conservative. That's what he's saying. See, what God our Father accepts is not less than morality in a sense. It's not less than a pure and holy life, a life which acknowledges that God owns your body, every part of it. God owns your choices. He's got something to say about the way we express our sexuality. He made you. He's the creator. He's the owner. Christianity's not less than that, but it is more than that as well. It's about caring. Hear me, caring about the plight of widows and orphans. And on the other hand, Christianity is not less than caring about widows and orphans, but it is more. See, some people give themselves a pass. They say, I can act however I want and do whatever I want and live however I want and say whatever I want because I care about the least of these. See, To which James, the brother of Jesus, would say, you shouldn't be making a distinction here. That's why I wrote the word and. And. 
pure religion is to keep yourself undefiled by the world and your culture, and it is caring for widows and orphans in their distress. And by the way, this church, this church doesn't choose between them, and we never will. We never will. We are committed to both these things, and you know that if you've been here. But this morning, and really over this month, the course of the month, we're focusing less on the second half of that verse, and we're going to be focusing more on the first half of the verse, and we're going to be committed to doing our part, what we can, to alleviate the distress of some orphans and widows in our community and around the world. And there are many ways that we do this throughout the year. Many ways. We do this throughout the year. Many of you are so involved in many areas, and there are many ways we're going to do it over the course of this month, and I hope they're really exciting for you. But here is one way we get to do this today, and that's number three. This is how we can remember. Today, we're going to be able to show some people in the city of Austin that God cares about them, even if they don't care about God. Today, we're going to give to something that on one hand has nothing to do with us. It's not one of our departments. It's not one of our ministries or one of our programs. And by the way, this is so biblical in terms of how you give. I mean, Jesus says, if you only give to those who love you and who do something for you, if you only give to your children's ministry or youth ministry or whatever, if you only give like that, listen, pagans give like that. That's the way people who don't know me give. That's how the world gives. And so today we want to give in a way that's different. And here's how. What if one time a year we could collectively pool our resources and give in a way that impacted an organization in our community in an unforgettable way? What if we were able to give to an organization uh, outside the scope of our local church so generously that it changed the course of that ministry or nonprofit or organization? What if we raised so much money over time that, for something else that we, that we actually could do better than the federal government when it came to job creation? We, we created jobs for those who work in nonprofits. I mean, what if we lived big for a day? And just gave it away. I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, two people like it. Wouldn't that feel good? I mean, wouldn't that put hope in your heart that God was using his church to do something great in the city? I mean, wouldn't you feel like you were living big? Yeah, you would. So this morning, I want to do just that. This morning, I want to invite you to remember who you are with me by doing one thing on one time for one day. You ready? Here it is. Today, I want us to raise, believe in God, for $20,000 to raise in one day for the Settlement Home for Children, which cares for foster children. This is an organization that's been around for almost 100 years in Austin. They proved themselves faithful, started by Christian women who were living out James chapter 1. And this just isn't any old foster home. It's actually some of the most difficult cases. It's the people that are the least likely to be adopted, children who have unbelievable needs. And we can make a huge difference in their lives and in the settlement home by showing up with a check for $20,000 just because. And by the way, if you didn't know, most nonprofits like them, they work on shoestring budgets most of the time with amazing people, highly capable individuals who have left the corporate world and they give their lives to causes like this. And even though we can't do everything we want for organizations like this or this place or that place, we can give them. We can do for one, if you remember that. Do for one and give them a day they won't forget and make a difference, a permanent difference perhaps, 
and the lives of those in crisis. And honestly, if there's one reason, I hope God grows our church. And if there's one reason, I am grateful to God for growing our church. It's because of this. It's to grow us so much. We are able to give away so much more in the city and show them that Jesus is the light of the world and his church cares about them. Oh, that's why I hope we grow. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Here it is. We've got, mm, on a Sunday, typically, uh, we average around 500 to 550 adults, another 200,000 kids or something like that. And so, I think like 80% of those are from parents on the front row here. But if every adult gave this, you ready? Here's what it costs you. Only thirty nine ninety five. If every adult could give away $39.95, we could raise $20,000 in one day. And two years ago, we did this. We asked for $10,000. We got $15,000. Last year, we asked for $15,000. We got $18,000. So today, we're starting the opening bidding at $20,000. And so I believe we can go over that again. Some of you can give more than $39.95. Some of you can't give that. That's okay. You can only give less. No guilt here. You know, in the past that you have, in the future that you will. But here's what I'm asking you to do here. I'm asking everybody today to play. Everybody to get in the game. I'm not asking you to go home and pray about it. (laughs) Christian code for passing the buck, right? Not asking you to do that. I'm just asking you to consider right here, right now, giving $39.95 per adult towards this. And if you're here, but your spouse isn't, you can just give for them. They'll thank you for saving them the trouble, right? Uh, you say, well, gosh, I don't know, Morgan. What would Dave Ramsey think about this? This isn't in my budget. Listen, I called Dave last night. He actually thought this was a great idea. He told me to tell you to play and participate. So you can give and do this in one of three ways today. One, you can give via text message right now on the screen. Text any amount. You make sure that you do put a dot in there, 39.95, or it may come back void for some of you. All right. It's okay. Although I suppose we take that too. We would check with you first. Uh, text any amount to that number, 39.95. If it gives you trouble, you can round up to 40. Don't round down to 39. Number one, give the text message. You can pull out that really smartphone. This is why God invented the smartphone. It's for this right here. There it is. Number two, we'll also have several people, that's going to stay up, several people with card readers in the lobby at the table back there. And you can go up to them, take your card. If you want to put it on a certain card and swipe the card, you've got to give them their, your name and tell them the specific amount. And that's the fun part because you actually have to tell them how much you want on there. And so, you know, maybe some of you want to $49.95, $59. Anyway, you, you can take it from there. So uh, you may think, man, I've got my kids. Uh, they're going to be fussy. It's okay. The person behind you in line. We'll actually volunteer to watch your kids for you. It's an amazing church. Number three, for both of you here with cash or check, there's an envelope in the seat back in front of you. You can put it in there, and we've got two brown boxes here on each of these exits here. Okay, so that's what you're doing here today. I'm asking you, even if you are a guest, because here's what you're doing. You're not giving, hear me, to a church, okay? You're giving through a church, giving through a church. For those of you who are suspicious and you think, man, the church just wants my money, today we do. <laughs> today I do. I want as much money as we can give to the settlement home and those children. Yeah. 
And next year, I want to do it again, and the next year, I want to do it again, and grow, and grow, and grow, and be known for a church, as a church, that's known more for its generosity than just as theology alone, as important as theology is. I don't want to be known just for what we're against, right? But for what we are for, and here's our promise as you give through a church, not one penny stays here. There's no shipping and handling. Okay, no, you know, overhead, no administrative fee, nothing like that. You're giving through a church, not to a church. And so as you do this, here's what you're doing. You are living big. You're living big. I mean, if you, I mean, think about it. if you were ultra wealthy, what would you do? You just give it away, right? So we're going to help you practice today so that in the event you're ever really, really, really rich, you'll already be good at it. All right. So when someone asks, well, man, what, what did you do in church today? What happened to you? You can tell them, I lived big. I lived big. I just gave it away. We all gave small, and it added up to a big difference in somebody's life. And think about what we can do, church, the good we can be known for, right? A church that doesn't give expecting to get but is expectant to give. Listen, I can't even tell you how, exci- how excited I am about all this. We're going to come back next week. We're going to give you the amount. It's going to be amazing. And that's how we're going to close today, okay? There's no song. There's no band. This is just a play. I'm going to say like a really short prayer, uh, and then you're going to be dismissed. So this is like the big football huddle. We're gathering. We're calling the play. We're going to run the play, and it's going to be amazing, all right? So let's stand on, stand on your feet here. Stand on your feet. Let me say a short prayer. God, we ask you, to help us live big and to make a difference with these children in the city for at least $20,000 in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. We love you. You're dismissed.